sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Welcome to everyone to the house of the Lord. Welcome the visitors. It's good to be here. It's good to have the opportunity to gather and rejoice in the Lord our Savior, to consider His ways and, and be instructed of Him. For our message this morning, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4 has a word from the Lord for us this morning. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. 
meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now in this passage there are a multitude of topics that one could preach on. The primary word, it was actually one word that I thought to focus on this morning, is in verse 13. It tells us to, or his instruction to Timothy was to give attendance to exhortation. That was in a list of three things, reading, exhortation, and doctrine. And I thought to speak a bit on this matter of exhortation. Now, this is in context, and in the context, I almost got lost and sidetracked from my original thought, because, as they say, context is everything. But in this case, we may get to the topic of exhortation somewhere toward the end of my message, or interwoven through it. But I am concerned that I save myself and them that hear me. That is found in the latter part of this verse, in it, um, sorry, this chapter. It says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now there is a danger for us, and when I say us, I think we should think of it first individually. There is a danger for us to be lost. That would be the opposite of being saved, right? We can lose our way, and it's of utmost importance that we consider diligently that we not lose our way as an individual. But in this case, in the context here, Paul was admonishing Timothy, who was a, an elder, perhaps a younger one, as the scripture would indicate, But he's admonishing him in the things that he ought to say and teach and do and to take heed thereto. In prior verse 15 he says, Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them. That's with your entire energy and thought and purpose, you give yourself to these things that thy profiting or the fact that you are growing in these areas is evident to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So in context here, this whole picture, not just one word, but the whole picture here is that We need to give ourselves to these things. We need to consider them, press into them, make them a part of our life. 
that we might save ourselves and those that hear us. Now I'm thinking in kind of the heart of my message here, I would address much of what I'm speaking to young fathers, young men, and I will say between the ages of 25 and 45, in a general sense. Because you are, in some sense, the heart of the church. Now, it's true that all of us are a part of the church. But for some of us who are a bit older and have been here for nearly 30 years now, there is a sense that our time is coming to an end. Hopefully it won't be just real soon, at least in regards to the church. And certainly, I'm not saying that we have no responsibility or that our time is past. But looking at the larger picture, we have... We have, in our generation, we have had our labors, and some might think of the present church as a representation of what we have done and the result of our labors. And there's certainly a sense that that's true. But in the ongoing continuity of the church, the age group from 25 to 45 is kind of at the middle. Now, That does not exclude the youth and their portion and responsibility in the church. They are also a part of the church. They represent the church. All of us together are representations of the church. But again, a lot of the responsibility for what the church is rests on those between the age of 25 and 45. That may not make you comfortable, but I think there's some reality to it. I would liken it to a business, and there's many ways it falls short, I'm sure, but we have in our business, I would call it a mature business. Mature in the sense that it's beyond just one man doing his thing. We have a whole team that works. And we have different responsibilities and compartments, if you will. There is someone who runs the office. And at present, that's mostly one individual. And then there are those who actually go out and do the work. And that's a team. And then there's the owner or the principal owner, not the only owner, but the principal owner, the one who started this or sort of got things going, and that's me. Now, what is our company? And I'll liken this to when we think about what is the church. Well, it's not just one person or one thing that represents what the church is. And that's part of my focus this morning is that though I am addressing a certain age group primarily, it certainly isn't the only thing in relation to 
what we think of as a church. So back to our business. If you were to ask a customer of ours, what does this business look like? Well, the reality is that the customer's interaction with the company may begin with the office staff. And in some cases, that's almost their only contact. It is certainly a primary contact. Normally, they call, give the details, request, and then it gets handed off to me. I go do a site visit, and sometimes I meet the customer and discuss the project with them. And sometimes I do not see them at all, and they don't see me. So if they have had a phone conversation, it goes back to the person in the office as their contact with the company. And then, if they decide to accept our services, then the crew goes out and does the installation. And sometimes, that is their contact with the customer. And sometimes, there is no contact. The customer isn't at home. When the work is done, the crew shows up and leave, and then the customer looks at the end product. Now, many times there is some interaction there with the crew, and sometimes that is a customer's only contact with our company in the sense of actually in person. They may have talked to the office and on the phone. So it varies a good deal. But in the end, the customer has received a service and they review what has been done and then make a determination whether they are satisfied with the service that was rendered. So all of us together represent what we are as a company and the customer makes their evaluation based on their interaction. And it's not always the same. Sometimes it's only office contact. That becomes the face of the company. But imagine their disappointment if everything went perfectly with the office interaction and at the end when the product is installed and the customer is disappointed with poor installation or poor end product, end result, it, it doesn't look well for the company. Uh, but if the office does not present a good face and poor interaction, that will repulse some customers and they'll go elsewhere. So, and by the same token, if I go out and, you know, if I'm a likable kind of person and talk well to them and and encourage them to buy this and tell them this is what they need and and if everything follows through well and they buy a product, we install it, it's to their satisfaction, everything is good, then everything is good. But if I show up and I'm not friendly and I, you know, they end up the interview with the concept that, not dealing with that company, you know, there's a problem. 
One of my points here is that it takes all of us working together as a team to represent what we are as a company. And everyone has their responsibility and everyone plays their part in representing it well. So when we think about a church and our part in it, if it's going to be represented well, then it's up to me to take care of my responsibilities to make sure that it's being represented well. And not just well to those looking on, but well, first of all, to our Lord and Savior who saved us and fit us together into a body and asks us to work together. And so his closing admonition in this chapter was, Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now back to this word exhortation in verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now the word exhortation there has the idea of a comforting or helping uh, spirit. Usually a word of exhortation. It also has to do, of course, with your attitude and spirit with which you come, but you are there to comfort, to aid, to come alongside. It is actually a word, very uh, different form of the word, used when speaking of the Holy Ghost as the comforter. That is a parallel word to the word exhortation. So the Holy Spirit comes with exhortation. The Holy Spirit comes as a comforter, as a guide, as an aid. And there's a sense that we, interacting with one another, we give exhortation. And while it is, yes, very important for the leaders or elders to do that, it's also important for all of us as laborers together to be able to give a word of exhortation. Now, paralleling that with the work of the Holy Spirit, you may have heard the expression, well, I shouldn't enter into someone else's life too much or I shouldn't uh, try to be too specific in direction because I don't want to be their Holy Spirit. Well, is that really what the Scripture says? Not really. And while there may be a nice-sounding ring to that, I don't want to be their Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to play God here. It may also become an excuse to shirk our responsibility because there is a parallel with the work of the Holy Spirit and the things that we can do one for another in exhortation, in comfort, and so on. For example, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter. Now the Spirit, remember, is that Comforter. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, speaketh expressly 
And here comes a word of warning. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Well, that is the exact opposite of what we read at the end of the chapter, that the concern is that we save ourselves and them that hear us. We do not want anyone departing from the faith. That is a very sad day when someone departs from the faith. But here is the Holy Spirit speaking expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. Now there have been various uh, fulfillments, if you will, of this passage down through the years and continuing unto this day. But we are certainly living in the latter times, and there are certainly people who are departing from the faith for many reasons. But the warning here is that there are times when people give heed to seducing, and that would mean um, spirits who are operating somewhat secretively and, and betray and, and lead people astray with guile and and cunning. And it says doctrines of devils speaking lies in hypocrisy. Is it possible that there are doctrines afloat today common among the churches? I'm just using that in a general sense. Doctrines that are actually lies spoken in hypocrisy. Well the answer is yes. There are certainly many. He's pointing to several here. Forbidding to marry. Well, perhaps her mind goes to the Catholic Church and others who uh, teach that uh, celibacy for the priesthood is required. That would seem to certainly fit this admonition here. A doctrine of devils forbidding to marry. And commanding to abstain from meats. And again, in some of those doctrines, they, they teach that on Friday you should not eat meat other than fish. And then there are other religions and other doctrines that teach that you should abstain from meats altogether. One of the popular uh, fads in this world is a vegan diet that has nothing to do with any animal products or meats. And that can have very devastating consequences health-wise. It has the appearance of having a very good um, and reasonable explanation of why you should not eat meats. We should beware. Any kind of doctrine that says that you should not eat meats, that you should be only a vegetarian, beware. It says here that God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. So don't be led astray with the concept of a vegan diet. 
Now, you may say, well, that's, that's kind of out there. It's, it's, not, it's not me, or I, I'm not worried about that. Well, that's fine. Just, just beware. Those doctrines are out there, and they have some element of appeal to them. And they may have reasons why, and almost make it sound like you would be more Christian to not eat meat. Well, perhaps we in America here have diet very rich in meat, and it may actually be advisable to reduce uh, our consumption for health's sake. I wouldn't deny that that could be the case in times, but the concept that we should not eat meat is not from the Lord, as it plainly says here. But then he goes on, talking about what it means to live a spiritual Christian life. And he says in verse um, 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, what is godliness? Well, I won't go into that deeply, but it has the idea of reverence and and respect for God and a fervency for God. It's a good study to just study out what it means to be godly. It's not particularly the focus of my message other than it is certainly part of this whole picture of godliness. But I'd like you to note the words there of good doctrine. Now in verse 1 it talked about doctrines of devils. We should avoid those kind of teachings. And here in verse 6 it says, of good doctrine. In verse 13, he urges him to give attendance to doctrine. And then in verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Now what is doctrine? Doctrine simply means the teaching. Now this is again a very encompassing word because teaching on everything. We have teachings on marriage. There are many admonitions in the scriptures on what a marriage should be and how it should be. And the relationship between husband and wife and all of those teachings are doctrine that comes from the word of God. And in this passage he is pointing out a wrong doctrine, a falsehood in relation to marriage. But when we think of doctrine, it simply means the teachings, and it means all of them. It's, some people have an aversion to doctrine, thinking that if we focus on doctrine, we're going to miss something else. Well, it's really not True, it's a bit of a misunderstanding of what doctrine means. Doctrine is all of the teaching. 
And when Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you, that's doctrine. You're, you're teaching that your teaching is your doctrine. Till I come, verse 13, give attendance to reading. Now, exactly what was Paul telling Timothy there? To reading. Reading what? Well, I believe he was telling him to be reading the scriptures. And the idea there is to to know the truth, to understand the truth. You read in the scriptures so that you are well established and grounded in what is true. Pretty simple concept. But give attendance to reading. And you know, as, uh, as the saying goes, when it comes to the law, ignorance is... Let's say, not um, you're not you're not justified by ignorance. If you don't know the law, it's your responsibility to know it. And if you if you violate it ignorantly, it's no excuse. Okay, for an example to this, I last fall I wanted to build a a shop or shed on my property, and so I applied with the county for the permits and everything. And in that process, I get a notice from the county saying, telling me that they observed that perhaps on my property there is a non-permitted business. And I read that and I thought, what? Are they telling me that I am not allowed to have this business? It says non-permitted business. And I am perhaps in violation of the code of, of uh, zoning on such and such a paragraph. Oh, so the zoning code on this paragraph has something to say about this, so I better be reading. <laughs> okay, up to this point I had given little attention to the zoning code as it applied to what was happening on my property. Okay, so I had to correct my error by giving attendance to reading. I looked up the passage, I read it, and then it clarified. And when you read in legal terms, you understand that every word has a very specific meaning. And so in this case, non-permitted simply meant I did not have a permit. And there was a process by which I could apply for a permit and be in compliance with the code. Okay, so I went through that whole process and now my business is permitted. I have a permit for my business to be operating on this property, which is zone residential and on and on and on. Give attendance to reading. Now, there is a bit of difference in that we don't necessarily approach the scriptures as a legal document and, and read it like a legal document. But we should read it 
with the understanding that it guides our life and is the final word from the Lord on how we should operate and what we should do and not do. And we should give some attendance to it. The exhortation here or the the instruction from Paul to Timothy was that he give attendance to reading so that he has an accurate understanding of what the will of the Lord is. And that applies to us today. How we guide our homes, how we guide the church, how we operate, the kind of character we should have is found here. And we ought to give attendance to it. And now to exhortation. Exhortation, while it could include things like warnings and cautions and so on, there are other words that would carry more of that weight, and it certainly is part of our Christian life. But exhortation has the idea of an encouraging or comforting word, something to help you along. Is it our responsibility? And again, I'm focusing a bit here on a certain age segment in the church, age 25 to 45. You carry a lot of the responsibility of what the church is. And I, I use the illustration of our business And there's a reality here is that while I have the knowledge about how to do the installation and the work, I am not the one who is actually out there doing the work. And there's a reason for that. My abilities are declining. I don't have the stamina I once did. I can't just go up and down the ladders with the ease that I used to. But the young men who are out there actually doing the work, they are excelling. That is their strength. They can do it, and they can do it all day long and don't suffer as much as I would. It's just a practical makes sense, right? So I am very dependent on their labors to make this company what it is. We're also dependent on the office, and we expect that to have a good interface with the customer. But it also depends, you know, the office, no matter how skilled, would soon uh, fall into uh, reproach if the work was uh, shoddy or, you know, didn't get done or whatever. It's So, in the end, it takes everyone together. And I'm particularly thinking that, you know, as I look at, look at my business, I realize that all of the de- parts depend on the other. Uh, I can go out and I can assure the customer that, yes, we can do this, this is, this is how it will work and everything will be good. 
but if they're being turned off by what's happening in the office or if the if there's not a follow through with actually performance of the of the workmanship uh my good talk is is useless it it ends up in nothing um but if the workmen go out and they do an excellent job but they've been repulsed the customer's been repulsed by the salesman and or the office and you know they they might not ever get the job in the first place but but it would be a pretty difficult road for the workman on site to actually convince his customer that everything is good if if they're not getting satisfaction in all parts of the business We need to understand that in the church none of us individually represents the church by ourselves and we can't control everything. We are dependent one upon another to represent what the church is. So on the one hand it's we don't have full control. We are very dependent on others. But on the other side of the coin it is our responsibility. We are very responsible to do our part for what the church is and that it continues and stays the course. Exhortation. I think of several other examples. These are very surface type of uh, interactions but but they make a point in that as we journey through life we want help one from another i thought of several examples in our travels uh, in february we went down to the grand canyon area and one morning as we were headed out to the area we wanted to do some hiking in we were on the interstate and there was a traffic accident and and the traffic stopped just totally stopped and we sat there and sat there and we saw the scenery but not from the location where we were wishing um, but finally with the help of Google Maps we thought saw well I should back up and say we spoke with someone next to us and they told us there was an accident 4 miles ahead and everything is shut down so we looked at google maps and we saw that about a mile ahead of us was an exit and next to the exit if we took off there we could there was a road that sort of paralleled the interstate and and might might get us around this roadblock so we decided to try we went on the shoulder took the exit found the road and it went through kind of a nice street and then into a residential area and then from there it uh turned into a gravel road and and then a more narrow gravel road and by this time we're kind of wondering hmm so about that time a vehicle approaches from the other direction and they slowed down we slowed down we rolled down our windows and and the man looks over and says it's a dead end and we burst out laughing 
He was a fellow traveler. He didn't have to ask. He guessed what our intent was. And they had already tried it. It's a dead end. An exhortation. We didn't have to pursue it to the final turnaround, so we just did our turnaround and headed back. Again, very surfacy in many ways, but we think of an application when we're thinking of going the journey of life. Those who have gone ahead of us may have a word of exhortation that says, ah, don't try that. It's, it won't come to a good end. Okay, I can, I can correct course, I can adjust. Another example, we hiked down into the canyon there at the Grand Canyon on the South Kebab Trail. And there were a number of other hikers there going up and down. And there were all sorts of levels of hiking skills. We spoke with one group of hikers that came up from the canyon below us, strong men carrying heavy packs. They had been camping for days and they were very skilled. And they had reports of their hike and their, you know, things we could learn from them. And they were free to express their, their experiences. And but I also remember a young lady with her friend that came down uh, a young man that might have been married, I'm not sure. They were probably in their early 20s. And they'd hiked down to about the same spot that we were. And at the very spot, just kind of resting turning point there where the, where the trail took a sharp turn, but at that location there was a fairly wide, rocky area. But beyond that, it went down pretty steeply on all sides. And this one lady, young lady, you could tell that she was terrified. Now, it was at least as wide as this platform, and she was standing in the center. Now, if she had fallen flat over, it would have just been right there. She would not have tumbled down the mountainside, but she was terrified. And when she turned around, you could just tell in every, every step it was trembling. Now what would you say as a word of exhortation to someone like that? Would you mock them? Ah, you're just scared. No. No, you wouldn't. But I, I tried to give her some exhortation. I don't know if I did well or not, but I told her, don't worry. I said, you just stick to the middle. Just, just calm down. You're going to be okay. It's, and that's okay. You just, you just take it easy. You're going to make it. I said, you're going to be okay. Just stick to the middle. 
have your friend help you and you're, you're going to be okay. Well, they headed on up the trail and as far as I know, they were okay. But there are times in life when we need those words of exhortation, a, an encouraging word to, you're, you're going to make it, you're, you're okay. You know, you're going through a difficult time, but, but it's, it's going to be okay. And there are many other examples I could give of various people that we talked to, some who had gone this trail or that trail, and we talked with their experience, about their experience, and it gave us courage to try or not try certain certain parts of the trail or and and that kind of thing. Now, as I said, those are surfacey, you know, the everyday kind of thing. But how is it in our long journey, our walk together here in a fellowship? Are we sensitive to where others are? And my mind goes to just the reality that there are many dangers, if you will. There are many experiences in life. There are many facets of church life. And when I think of, you know, we, we might talk about our problems or maybe searching for something to fix so that things might go better. Do you know the reality is there are many things that can go wrong and many things that do go wrong, and we need help for them all. We sing that song, My soul be on thy guard, ten thousand foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. And the song goes on to say that we need to, and the, the line escapes me at the moment, but we help each other along the way, and we, we are aware that it's not just one thing. There are many things that can press in, that can lead us astray. As it says here, In the warning at the beginning of the chapter, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There are many that are out there, many doctrines, many deceiving spirits, many false concepts that can creep in. And in the letter to the Hebrews, whoever was it Paul that wrote it or whoever the writer was said or he said that beware lest ye also being led away with the air of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So now if we unpack that a little in, the, in, in reverse... So someone who was steadfast, 
at one point in time has fallen away because he was led away, he or she, by the error of the wicked. And I would suggest that many times that's not because there was some wicked person who came and told them something false, although that may be true, but it could be secondarily that somewhere the error that the wicked have fallen into has become commonplace enough that it's now accepted or we no longer see it for what it is. And so a person who was at one point steadfast can fall away because they have begun listening to the error of the wicked. Makes it pretty serious, doesn't it? Where do we stand? Are we steadfast? Not only in the past, but also in the present? Are we steadfast? Will we stay steadfast? Or is it possible that we could gradually be led away with the error of the wicked? And back in our text here, in verse 14, he says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now I know that of you listening here today, most of you have not been directly um, given a charge or you have not been ordained, you have not had the laying on of hands of the presbytery to give you a specific responsibility. But nevertheless, you are responsible in your homes, for your family, You do have positions of influence and responsibility, even aside from a specific ordination. And you should be taking seriously these charges here of not neglecting the gift that God has given you. Meditate upon these things, he says. Give thyself wholly unto them. And that certainly is not a once and done thing. Meditate means to allow your mind to go over these things and to go over them. And giving yourself wholly to them is not a sprint. It's, it's for the race. It's for the long haul. You, you endure. You press in. That thy profiting may appear to all. Thy profiting. I think of the scriptures that talk about growth, about maturity. And there's a reality of that in the Christian life. I mentioned that our business is a mature business. And I think sometimes that we have seen just about everything, but this past week I realized we haven't. I went out to a job site, it's a brand new house, and I realized there is one spot that is going to require a custom fit that I had never seen before, 
And I do not know why they build it that way, but it was something that is going to be unique. And so it is with life. Sometimes we, we find things, and so when we say we're mature, that doesn't mean we've seen it all or that we know it all. We may still be faced with challenges that are new and different, and, and we need to be prepared to accept that. So maturity doesn't mean we will never have anything new or that we can just let down our guard. It means that we have learned a few things and we need to press on and continue and continue to grow. But don't be discouraged if you haven't yet reached full maturity. And when I think of a uh, growing, I don't have the reference here, but Jesus spoke about it's first the blade and then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. So there's a time when it starts growing, it begins to show its fruit, and eventually comes to maturity. And if you think of that as, as a span of life, well then don't be discouraged if you feel like you're not yet... Um, like you're not, you don't have much fruit. You're only 26 years old and you haven't really been given much responsibility and, and things are just, yeah, every, everything looks big and way out there and, and maybe someday my gifts will be recognized and just keep working. Keep pressing in. Keep going forward allowing God to build the character like he gave it in this chapter. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Wow, if that doesn't give you a lot to meditate on, um, I exhort you to start. Start thinking, meditating. How is your example and I'm talking to this age group 25 to 45 if the church were judged by your character how would it be in any of these areas in word in conversation in charity in spirit in faith, in purity. A lot of room for meditation. And let's remember to exhort one another that encouraging word to press in to give it a little more speed, to give it a little more effort. You can do it. You're going to be okay. Press into it. I see maybe you're not, uh, you're not doing so well in this area. Can I encourage you? Can you? What, what do you need? You know, 
and be there to help your brother and remember that you are representing what the church is now even if you're not in leadership and even if you feel like nobody's paying attention people around us are watching. They are looking to see what we are. May the Lord bless with that.